Hello, I'm Dr. Jim Taylor, and welcome to Episode 4 of my Crisis to Opportunity podcast, Threat versus Challenge. Continuing our focus on the impact of instincts on our reactions to a crisis, in this episode, we'll explore how the way we perceive a crisis influences our reactions to it. How you respond to a crisis starts with how you look at it. I found a simple distinction lies at the heart of whether you adopt a crisis mentality or an opportunity psychology. Do you perceive the crisis as a threat or as a challenge? Think glass half empty or half full, lemons or lemonade. Whether you view crises as a threat or a challenge sets into motion a diametrically opposed cascade of thoughts, emotions, and actions that result in either constructive or harmful responses to a crisis. The problem is that whether you respond to a crisis as a threat or a challenge is initially driven by your deeply ingrained instincts that I've talked about in previous podcasts. The threat instinct arises instantaneously to protect you from the perceived danger. You experience visceral and dramatic emotions, including fear and anger. Your body mobilizes through powerful physiological changes that were designed to help you survive. And your focus narrows to guarantee that you pay attention solely to the presenting threat. As I emphasized in a previous episode, this reaction served humans well in primitive times when the crises we faced were obvious and immediate. Back then, there was no other choice but to respond immediately and urgently if we wanted to have a chance of survival. However, due to the amorphous nature of most crises these days, this defensive posture would more likely decrease your chances of survival or successful navigation of the crisis at hand. For example, holding onto a job, protecting your retirement portfolio, or keeping your marriage intact. The painful irony of the threat instinct is that it once ensured the future of humanity, but today can actually exacerbate rather than mitigate a modern-day crisis. The ability to respond to a crisis as a challenge separates us from our primitive forebears as we must resist our most basic instincts. The fundamental goal behind the challenge response is to pause rather than act instinctively, engage our cerebral cortex, and figure out a way to overcome the crisis. Most importantly, we now strive not only to survive, but to thrive, as I discussed in the previous episode, in the difficult environment that the crisis has created in our modern lives. This challenge mindset goes beyond simply creating a physical and psychological state that enables you to direct all of your resources to removing, or at least minimizing, the threat the crisis presents to you. Although crises are definitely experiences that are not relished or sought out, Using the crisis approach allows you to view them as opportunities to be embraced rather than misfortunes to recoil from. With this challenge perception, you're focused on responding to the crisis with commitment, confidence, and courage while minimizing counterproductive emotions like doubt, worry, or fear. Challenge is associated with embracing what needs to be done to overcome the crisis rather than obsessing about potential harm that might result from the crisis. This quote-unquote can-do state acts as the foundation for an opportunity mindset by creating a positive lens through which you view and experience the crisis. The challenge reaction prompts you in a vastly different emotional response to the crisis than the threat instinct does. Instead of the negative, unpleasant, and unhelpful emotions that are part of the threat reaction, for example, fear, frustration, anger, and despair, challenge emotions include hope, pride, inspiration, and equanimity. These much more pleasant and productive emotions propel you toward confronting the crisis you face rather than avoiding it or sabotaging your efforts to alleviate the crisis. 
In turn, these emotions activate a physiological state that actually better prepares you for responding positively to the complex nature of crises today. You feel just the right amount of adrenaline to make you feel ready to perform your best, your muscles are loose, and your breathing is deep and controlled. Unlike the intense and uncomfortable physical changes associated with the threat instinct, the challenge approach leads you to feel physically comfortable and in control of your physiology. You may feel relaxed yet energized, or perhaps even fired up to take on the crisis. This more calm condition allows your mind to be clear and intentional. You'll be confident that you have the capabilities to surmount the crisis. Maintaining this relative calm in the storm of a crisis enables you to focus on the depth and breadth of the crisis, analyze possible options, set reasonable goals, make sound decisions, plot appropriate courses of action, and pursue them with vigor that wouldn't be possible in the frenzied state of the threat instinct. From the African poet Ben Okri, the most authentic thing about us is our capacity to create, to overcome, to endure, to transform, to love, and to be greater than our suffering. It is unrealistic to expect that you will never experience the threat instinct in response to a crisis again. We would all love to be cool, calm, and collected when faced with a crisis, but that's rarely the case, at least initially. Because the threat response has been wired into our brains through millions of years of evolution, some feelings of threat are an inevitable part of being faced with a crisis. As such, the presence of the threat instinct when faced with a crisis is less important than whether or not you continue to react to it the same way our primitive ancestors did, or you're able to let go of it and shift to a challenge orientation. The first step in making the shift from a threat reaction to a challenge response is to recognize that your threat instinct is being triggered. Often our threat responses are so strong and ingrained that we have no conscious awareness of our reactions to the threat. Fight or flight kicks in and we're swept away by its immediacy and its intensity. Without recognizing its presence, there's no way for you to engage your evolved brain and stop your outdated threat instinct from continuing to control your response to the crisis. Gaining awareness of your threat instinct when it happens isn't magic. It's just a matter of having your radar on when crises arise. Just by learning about the differences between your threat instinct and a challenge response, you are better attuning yourself to occasions when your threat instinct is activated. At first, you may not be conscious of your threat instinct going off until the crisis has progressed or has already passed. Over time, however, as your sensitivity to your threat instinct increases, you will find that your recognition will move closer and closer to that fork in the road of threat versus challenge. Until one day when you're confronted with a crisis, you will have an epiphany. My threat instinct is kicking in and I can do something about it. From Thich Nhat Hanh, the Vietnamese Buddhist monk and peace activist, awareness is like the sun. When it shines on things, they are transformed. The next step in overcoming your threat instinct is to accept it as normal. How normal, you ask? Well, so normal that billions upon billions of human beings over hundreds of thousands of years have experienced the same response before you. Unfortunately, the threat itself isn't the only problem when you experience a threat instinct in reaction to a crisis. There are three things that can exacerbate the impact that a crisis has on you. First, allowing the threat instinct to consume you and drive your thinking, emotions, and reactions. Relying on this primitive and outdated instinct to help you through a modern-day crisis will certainly not end well. Second, attempting to ignore or distract yourself from the crisis in the hope that it will just go away. The fact is that crises don't usually just run their course. Instead, they tend to persist and even grow if not actively staunched. Plus, crises tend to be big and powerful, like an 800-pound gorilla in the room. 
That means that you won't be able to ignore it for long, and by then it might be too late to resolve it in a positive way. Third, not realizing that your perception of the crisis in the near term is through the lens of the threat instinct. Not only do you experience the trauma of the crisis and the unpleasantness of the threat instinct, but you feel terrible for feeling it in the first place. It's bad enough to have to deal with a crisis and the threat instinct on its own. It's even worse to then beat yourself up about feeling as if you were weak for succumbing to it. These feelings can create a psychological and emotional vicious cycle that compounds the impact of a threat instinct many times over. You feel bad about feeling bad, which makes you feel even worse, and that increases the perception of the threat and the harm that is incurred by the crisis. When your threat instinct is triggered, cut yourself some slack by accepting it as a natural, though not ideal, response to a crisis. This acceptance takes the pressure off of this threat feeling, lessens your inner turmoil and conflict, and makes the threat less menacing and more realistic. By not adding the insult of a cacophony of negative thoughts and emotions to the injury of the threat instinct itself, not only will you feel better, but it takes away much of the power of that threat has over you and frees up energy to put you in a better position to shift to a challenge orientation. From Michael J. Fox, the Canadian-American actor and activist, acceptance doesn't mean resignation. It means understanding that something is what it is and that there's got to be a way through it. With your threat instinct in its proper perspective and its psychological and emotional volume turned down, you're now in a position to begin the transition from threat reaction to challenge response. This shift starts by understanding the precise nature of the crisis and what makes it so threatening. Crises commonly threaten important areas of our lives, including our careers, finances, relationships, and health. When you have a clear understanding of what is threatening about the crisis, it becomes something more tangible, more clearly defined, and more manageable, rather than an amorphous feeling of threat to your survival. Crises often create a double whammy when it comes to the threat instinct. There are the obvious threats, such as a serious health issue or financial ruin. But these overt crises often trigger internal crises of self that threaten our perceptions of ourselves. For example, losing your job can jeopardize your view of yourself as a competent person. An illness can prompt existential worry about your mortality. To move from threat to challenge, you must understand and address both levels of the threat that are present in a crisis. From Albert Einstein, the German-born physicist, any fool can know. The point is to understand. A strong indication of your transition from threat to challenge is your ability to resist this deeply ingrained instinct that's governed our responses to crises for as long as humans have walked the earth. If you can recognize that fork in the road and then take the good road rather than the bad road, you will score a big victory in your shift to a challenge response and your ability to confront the crisis in a positive and constructive way. Developing the ability to recognize this fork in the road is so important that it's used by the military. They label the fork in the road courses of action development in which they assess risk, identify possible outcomes, and then choose a COA, that is courses of action, that best diminishes the threat. Most often, taking the good road when confronted by a crisis begins by not doing anything. This pause from the immediacy, intensity, and urgency of the just presented crisis enables you to stop the threat instinct before it can fully take hold of you and before it does any harm. From Robert Frost, The Road Not Taken, two roads diverged in a wood, and I, I took the one less traveled by, and that has made all the difference. You can then decide what is the best big picture road to take in addressing the crisis. 
This is perhaps the greatest challenge when faced with a crisis. A threat instinct causes us to focus on the most present and obvious signs of the crisis. We're wired for that through evolution. In other words, we become so absorbed by the trees that we can't see the forest. As I've noted many times before, that worked for our ancestors, but it won't work when faced with many of today's complex crises. The goal of responding positively to crisis is to see and respond to both the trees, that is the immediate threat, and the forest, the larger crisis and long-term implications of a crisis. A response that's calm, deliberate, reasoned, and solutions-based will accomplish that goal. Your ability to make the complete transition from viewing crises as a threat to a challenge relies on embracing and ingraining certain beliefs about yourself. These beliefs act to override the threat instinct when confronted by a crisis. By the very nature, these perspectives remove the deafening alarms of threat. Think Chicken Little, the sky is falling, and replace it with a battle cry of challenge. Think Paul Revere, the British are coming, the British are coming. I've identified five beliefs that lay this foundation. Now, one thing to note about these beliefs is that they build on one another from the first to the last. From Arnold Schwarzenegger, the former professional bodybuilder, actor, and former governor of California. The last three or four reps is what makes the muscles grow. This area of pain divides the champion from someone else who is not a champion. That's what most people lack, having the guts to go on and just say they'll go through the pain no matter what happens. The first belief is, I am competent. One of the most threatening aspects of a crisis is the feelings of being over your head and out of control. In other words, feeling like you're not capable of overcoming the crisis. When you have a fundamental faith in your capabilities, you believe you have what it takes to surmount anything that comes your way. This sense of competence can be both specific and general. In an ideal world, you would possess the specific capabilities to deal directly with a crisis. For example, it would be great if you were a lawyer with a legal crisis, a physician with a health crisis, or a family therapist with a child crisis. Unfortunately, specific competencies rarely align with the crises we experience in our lives. In that case, having a general sense of competence provides a feeling of relative comfort that will mitigate the impact of the threat instinct and increases the confidence to seek out support, guidance, and information that will help you constructively navigate the crisis. With belief in your competence, you remove the potentially intense threat associated with the possibility of surrendering to the crisis and its consequences. I don't have a chance and can focus on mustering all of your resources to conquer the crisis. From Venus Williams, the American professional tennis player, some people say that I have an attitude. Maybe I do, but I think you have to. You have to believe in yourself when nobody else does. That makes you a winner right there. The second belief is, I am responsible for myself. This belief in ownership of yourself results in your ability to see that how you respond to a crisis, what you think, feel and do is up to you and will frequently determine how the crisis affects you. It prevents you from falling into a victim mentality where you feel ineffective and helpless. As a result, you believe that your response to the crisis is within your control, even though the cause of the crisis is often well outside of your control. As such, you take responsibility for your reaction, look inward for strength and direction, and decide for yourself how you will move forward in the face of a crisis. The third belief is, I am determined. One of the most common reactions when confronted by a significant crisis is to want to surrender to what might seem inevitable. 
Yet, a steely resolve and an unwavering determination is what will drive you to persist in the face of the potentially formidable obstacles that a crisis often presents to you. That persistence is what often separates those who survive and even thrive in a crisis from those who don't. This determination draws its energy from the two previous beliefs because if you see yourself as competent and take ownership of your response to a crisis, then you will believe that you can overcome the crisis if you persist. With these beliefs, you will harness and focus your energy with your fullest effort toward a positive resolution of the crisis, regardless of the potential obstacles and the uncertainty of the outcome. The fourth belief is, I can handle adversity. By their very nature, crises are rife with adversity, whether it's the cause of the crisis, its breadth, or the resulting problems that might ensue. Your belief that you can overcome whatever adversity crises throws at you is essential to seeing them as challenges rather than falling victim to a threat instinct. In addition to the previous beliefs that lay the foundation for this belief, you can develop an I can handle adversity belief in several ways. First, you can cultivate this belief by reflecting on past experiences in which you've marshaled your resources and succeeded in overcoming the adversity of previous crises. These experiences demonstrate to you that you had what it took to overcome prior crises and you'll have what it takes this time. Second, because it's unrealistic to think that you will have previous experience specific to every crisis you'll face, you'll need to tap into your general knowledge, abilities, and tools to handle adversity to confront the challenges of the current crisis. From Rocky Balboa of the Rocky movie series fame, you, me, nobody is going to hit as hard as life, but it ain't about how hard you hit. It's about how hard you can get hit and keep moving forward. How much you can take and keep moving forward. That's how winning is done. The final belief is, I can effect change. The above four beliefs act as the wellspring for the basic yet powerful belief that you can catalyze positive change, even in response to a very serious crisis, whose sheer size or force may seem to preclude any such change from occurring. Realistically, due to the intangible, complex, and oftentimes incomprehensible nature of today's crises, the change that you seek to resolve a crisis is often outside of your control. So, depending upon the type of crisis, when I speak of change, I'm referring to change in your beliefs about your ability to change the way you think, feel, and act in response to the crisis. So you can't control the crisis itself, but again, you can control how you approach it. The belief that you can affect change arises from your experience, knowledge, capabilities, tools, and support that you bring to bear as you face the crisis in front of you. In sum, when you embrace these five fundamental beliefs, or perhaps just remind yourself that these beliefs are true and powerful, you create in yourself a foundation that enables you to confront a crisis with confidence and determination. This foundation allows you to let go of your primitive threat instincts, disconnect from your amygdala, fully engage your evolved cerebral cortex, and access your entire arsenal of abilities that you possess. In turn, you'll be prepared to respond positively to whatever life throws at you, even in the most dire of crises. Finally, in adopting these five beliefs, you complete the transition from threat reaction to challenge response and are one step closer to adopting an opportunity psychology in the face of a crisis. I'm Dr. Jim Taylor, and thanks for listening to Episode 4 of Crisis Opportunity. And be on the lookout for Episode 5 in the near future.